El Chupacabras has been striking fear on ranches and farms since 1995. Some claim it's an alien-like being, others claim it's an escaped lab animal from a secret government facility. Is this creature real, or is it just a myth? Today, we'll discuss the origins of this legend, the results of DNA tests on its victims, and what El Chupacabras really is. Next, on Technically a Conversation. you're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Isala. How are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Quick reminder about our contest before we get started. If you're enjoying our show, take two minutes to leave us a review. What should they do again, Isela? Pause this awesome podcast. Wherever you're listening, take a quick moment to rate, five star hopefully, (laughs) our podcast. Take a quick screenshot and shoot it on over to any of our socials. You'll find all the wonderful details at technicallyaconversation.com. That's right. Once we get your review, we'll read it on the show. And once we have 25 reviews, we'll do a drawing and give the winner a sexy Technically a Conversation t-shirt. So check out technicallyaconversation.com or the show notes for all the deets. And to those of you that have already left us a review, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Quick shout out to the queens, Elena and Erica, the Duke, Stephen B., and the ContraZoom Pod Podcast. Thank you for sharing our post on your social media. Thank you, guys. Your friends' eyes and everybody else will hopefully rejoice along with us. (laughs) Indeed. Special shout out to new listener, Louis Infinite NYC. He sent us a message to say that he really enjoyed our TikTok videos and subscribed to our podcast. So thank you very much. Woohoo. Thank you for joining us, Louis. With all that business out of the way. Ready to get started? Ready, sir. Great. Let's get started. (laughs) Isala, have you ever seen an animal before? Other than me, of course. (laughs) You're so silly. Yes, I have. I have. Have you ever seen an animal that you couldn't identify or you couldn't explain what it was? Yes. Can you describe what happened or what situation you were in that you saw this mysterious creature? It wasn't really mysterious. This is is part of the thing where, you know, English was not my first language. And you can tell when I learned all the animals (laughs) because it wasn't during that time. So it was one of those like, oh, wait a second. Is that a squirrel or is that a prairie dog or is that, you know, it's like one of those things. I knew it's a very specific animal. I just didn't know maybe which one it was in English. (laughs) You know what I mean? I thought you were going to go through like a Noah's Ark thing where it was like, there was two elephants and two alligators (laughs) and two bumblebees. (laughs) Somebody should have kicked off a mosquito at least. (laughs) Right? That should have been the first thing to be gone. For real, those things are awful. That's one of the banes of my existence. (laughs) One of the many banes of my existence. (laughs) Guess I'm going to tell you about such a sighting, although not quite like yours. This was reported by the New York Times. 
In August of 1995, Madeline Tolentino, a 31-year-old woman from Canovanas, Puerto Rico, witnessed an animal that jumped like a kangaroo and smelled like sulfur standing in front of her window. She witnessed the creature again in January of 1996, this time while in her car with her one-year-old son. The stench of sulfur was so strong that her son was still coughing several days later. Around the same time, Francisco Monge, a 44-year-old Canovanas construction worker, reported losing five sheep, all of them having neck perforations. Monge, who had raised animals since he was nine years old, found their deaths highly unusual. Reports of more than 100 unusual livestock deaths inspired the Canovanas mayor, Jose Soto, to lead search parties of over 200 people in search of the beast responsible for these killings. Could it have been the vampire of Moca that caused the sudden death of cows in the 1970s? Was it an escaped lab animal from a secret government facility? Could it have been an extraterrestrial being? Or was it a new creature being referred to by the locals as El Chupacabras? Ooh, that sounds like chups. El Chupis. <laughs> El Chups? <laughs> yeah. Before we go any further, what are your thoughts, Isela? Are you familiar with the legend of El Chupacabras? I'm only somewhat familiar as like it's killed a lot of livestock and, you know, the symptom on all of them seem to have that double puncture type of thing somewhere around the neck. And like somehow it like sucked all the uh, blood out, which I thought was really fascinating. I'm like, oh, my God, if that's really true, how long did that take? Or I don't know, all my <laughs> all my crazy thoughts run. But yeah, I, that's as, really as far as I know. Maybe you hooked up like a reverse IV bag and filled up the little IV bags and took the blood to go. Yeah, hey, you know, that's what I would do. Like, then you could just watch TV and just hook it up. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being the third week of Hispanic Heritage Month, I thought it was only fitting to focus today's episode on another Latin folktale, this one hailing from Puerto Rico. Though this legend only goes back about 30 years, few cryptids have captured the imagination of people in such a short time as El Chupacabras. Special shout out to my brother Alfonso, who suggested this topic. And he suggested it like a year ago, but I'm barely getting to it. Uh, <laughs> Alfonso, don't take any offense to that. <laughs> I probably have like a hundred topics. So <laughs> Yeah, this is true. No, this is exciting. I always love to hear these Chupacabra stories. I think this one's really thorough. I hope that you enjoy it. Cool. Since the initial reported sightings in Puerto Rico, sightings have been reported as far north as Maine, as far south as Chile, mm. and even countries outside of the Americas, like Russia, the Philippines, India, and Sri Lanka. There have been movies, music, TV shows, podcasts, and works of art devoted to this creature. For those of you that might not know, Chupacabras literally translates to goat sucker. According to Ultimate Pop Culture Wiki, the name is attributed to Puerto Rican comedian Silverio Perez, who coined the label in 1995 while commenting on the attacks on livestock as a San Juan radio DJ. The first attack that was reported came a few months before Madeline Tolentino claimed to have witnessed this creature. It was in March of 1995 when eight sheep were discovered dead. Each of the sheep had three puncture wounds in the chest area and were reportedly completely drained of blood. The attacks resembled some similar killings that happened in the small town of Moca in 1975 that were attributed to El Vampiro de Moca, or the Vampire of Moca. 
where each of the animals was reported to have had its body bled dry through a series of small circular incisions. Initially, the killings were suspected of being committed by a satanic cult, but El Vampiro de Moca was later blamed when more farms started reporting more livestock deaths around the island. I tried searching for an explanation as to what caused the deaths of the farm animals that were attributed to El Vampiro de Moca, but all I could locate were various reports and sightings. It does appear, however, that the deaths happened between the months of February and July of 1975 and stopped as mysteriously as they started. Based on all accounts, it seemed like everything remained chill, as the kids would say, <laughs> until the cattle mutilation started 30 years later in 1995. Based on what we know so far, would you assume that El Chupacabras and El Vampiro de Moca are the same creature? They have the same MO and they're both from Puerto Rico. <laughs> it's very possible that it could have been. I just wonder why it went dormant for so long. I mean, there's cycles for a lot of animals, so I guess that could be very possible. I guess I wish I would have known. So the other ones, they had like very specific number, like eight punctures, right? And then the other ones, they just said that they had like circular incisions. So I wonder if they were similar in size and, you know, how far apart were they from each other? Like those types of things. Like then we could identify, oh yeah, it's probably the same thing. But that's really interesting. I would say it probably is the same thing from, you know, the few things I know. There are several people that felt the same way as you. Some people have claimed that Vampiro de Moca and the Chupacabras are the same creature. But according to Benjamin Radford from the Center for Inquiry, who interviewed original eyewitness Madeline Tolentino in Puerto Rico and visited Moca for his book, Tracking the Chupacabras, they are completely different. El Chupacabras was described as being a small, three-foot, human-like being with long arms and legs and appearing alien-like with large wraparound eyes and spikes down its back. Oh. El Vampiro de Moca was described as being a huge, winged creature having a feathered, covered body, so it appeared like two different creatures were being described. El Vampiro de Moca almost sounds like La Lechuza. Check out that episode if you haven't already. We'll come back to Mr. Benjamin Redford later. Let's go back to 1995. There was mass hysteria in Puerto Rico. People from other places were scared to travel there, out of fear. There were at least 150 presumed victims of El Chupacabras. There was starting to be an economic loss to the island and its inhabitants. All the while, there were more reports from eyewitnesses and sketches started to circulate. Dr. Hector Garcia, head of the Agricultural Department's Veterinary Services, was called in to do an autopsy of the animals killed by El Chupacabras. 20 of the presumed victims were autopsied by government veterinarians. One was even done in front of a dozen journalists. Their findings after this quick commercial break. Ooh, good cliffhanger. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is B. Cox from the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. We review classic hip-hop, R&B, and dancehall reggae albums 20, 25, and 30 years after their release dates. All true classics should be able to stand the test of time. So we put these classics from the 90s and early 2000s to the test. Each week, we break down the greatest albums in recent urban music history to reflect, review, and reminisce. Catch us every Monday morning for new episodes. Please visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. 
That's vaultclassicpod.com to check for more info on the show, listen, leave a review, share, and subscribe. You can also visit and interact with us at Vault Classic Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. This episode is brought to you by Our Weird World. Every week, I, John Henson, dive into weird, crazy, and forgotten stories from the history books that you have probably never heard before. I try to put some humor into it, or maybe I just come off sounding like a dick. That's really up for you to decide. But join me every Monday. Subscribe everywhere that you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Did you witness any chupacabras during our break? Did any creatures try sucking your blood during the break, Isela? No. And that is a very thankful no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Before the break, we talked about the hysteria that was going on in Puerto Rico at the time. In the year that had passed since the initial report, livestock owners were claiming that hundreds of sheep, rabbits, chickens, cats, and dogs had died in a similar manner. There were even reports of some animals that were locked in cages being killed, but the cages appeared to be undisturbed. Residents of the island were even bringing in their pets at night for fear that they would meet a similar doom. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Hector Garcia was brought in to do an autopsy of 20 of El Chupacabra's victims. And with the help of other government veterinarians, they presented their findings. Would you like to know what they found? Yeah, I'm dying to know what they saw. Let's go ahead and add a little bit more suspense. Sure. What do you think the cause of death was? They bled to death? That's a good guess. Let's see if you were right. (laughs) According to Dr. Garcia, the autopsy showed a variety of causes of death, including parasites. The animals that suffered bites more likely fell prey to feral dogs that populate certain forests and rural areas. Some university zoologists also suspected a rhesus monkey that was imported to Puerto Rico for scientific tests. And I wish they elaborated on this more. Because I have questions. Why did they suspect a rhesus monkey? Did it escape? Has it been found? What experiments were conducted on it that you would suspect it of killing livestock? Is a rhesus monkey even capable of killing a goat? Should I be afraid of rhesus monkeys now? (laughs) One more animal added to my list of (laughs) animals I fear. (laughs) To fear. Yeah, exactly. I know. Did it turn all outbreak on this motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Dr. Garcia also reported that all the dead animals had the expected amount of blood in them. Wow. He also stated that he had yet to see those famous blood-sucking fang marks and hasn't found anything that couldn't be defined. I feel lied to now. That was the one cool, like, very metal thing. Fang marks. Yes. (laughs) No. That is very metal. Yeah. Wait till you see the artwork I found for the episode art. It looks like a death metal album cover. (laughs) Yeah. Exciting. (laughs) I'm excited to show it to you. Cool. He also said that the results of all this exposes the need for better control of stray dogs and animals. So what do you think now, Isela? Do you agree with Dr. Garcia? Well, I I guess he would have more information than we would. So I guess that would make sense. He's the one who really got to get up close and personal with the carcasses. So I guess we kind of have to trust the science. I mean, I 
that's usually where I err towards like leaning towards trusting the science. So, I mean, if there was no fang marks, that's the one thing that for sure I thought was like the thing for like, you know, <laughs> what's the word? That's the one thing that was the seller for either a chupacabra or like some type of vampire vampiro thing. I agree. That's the smoking gun. Yeah. There are several people that don't agree with Dr. Garcia's findings. Some people think the animal deaths are a result of an exotic animal that was let loose on the island because a rhesus monkey isn't exotic enough, I guess. <laughs> Some people think it's the result of aliens that were drawn to the region due to the Arecibo Observatory. Others think it was done by people involved in ceremonial rituals. Ismael Aguayo, a member of the rescue unit of the Canovanas Municipal Civil Defense, stated that the people reporting the chupacabras are rural people. They know what animals look like and are serious people. He spent half of his time responding to chupacabra sighting calls. Some of the people were so affected that they required hospitalization. Hmm. Remember I said that I would come back to Benjamin Radford? Yes. He spent about five years in Puerto Rico and other Latin American regions trying to get to the bottom of what El Chupacabras actually was. In doing his research, he noticed that the initial reports claimed it was a bipedal, alien-looking creature, like me, standing four to five feet tall, <laughs> also strangely like me, okay. <laughs> with glowing red eyes and distinctive spines down its back. I also fit that description, I think. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but around the year 2000, something strange happened. And most of the reports of this creature faded away, and more reports started surfacing claiming that it was a canine-looking creature. Not only that, but scientists now had carcasses of these chupacabras, and they were able to examine and run DNA tests. Oh. Would you like to take a guess, a gander, if you will, at what the chupacabras ended up being? I'm still going to go with, I guess, like the feral dog that they said. Let's see if you're right. All the dead chupacabras carcasses that have surfaced have been subjected to DNA tests, and in every instance, it has been a known animal. The most common culprits have been dogs, coyotes, and raccoons. Usually, these animals have been stricken with mange or other parasitic infections, causing the animals to lose their fur and take on a gaunt, monstrous appearance. I see now. If the chupacabras is a known animal, then why were its victims all drained of blood? Excellent question, Isela. <laughs> Benjamin Radford addresses this too and says the reports that the animals that succumbed to the chupacabras were drained of blood is a myth. This further confirms what Dr. Hector Garcia discovered in 1995. In addition, Benjamin Radford adds that when coyotes and dogs hunt, they instinctively attack their prey by going for their necks, leaving puncture marks in the neck that would resemble that of a vampire due to those animals having canine teeth. Some people assume that dogs and coyotes would eat or tear up the animals they attack, but according to some wildlife experts, sometimes they just bite the neck and leave them to die. If one of those dogs or coyotes is weak, like from a parasite, they might bite their prey, but they are not strong enough to chase after it, and the prey dies several minutes or hours later from their wounds. Mm. Despite all the information that he learned while researching for his book, Benjamin Radford really wanted to get to the bottom of why the initial eyewitness reports of El Chupacabras looked alien-like 
as opposed to resembling a canine. What do you think it could have been, Isela? It's probably what you had mentioned, that they had mange, so they didn't have the stereotypical fur that we're used to seeing for dogs. So once the fur comes off, I mean, have you ever even seen like a hairless cat? Those fuckers are weird. So it doesn't even look like a cat. It just looks like like a legit alien. So I can see that. Yeah. They also look kind of ugly too. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't like them. My daughter wants one, but uh, heck no. They're hypoallergenic. That's the only reason why she wants me to get because I'm allergic <laughs> to cats. They're so weird looking. <laughs> no offense to any cat lovers out there. Cats are great. I'm just allergic to them. And those hairless ones, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Radford wasn't really convinced by that. He couldn't help but feel like he had seen the creature described by Madeline Tolentino before. And the coincidence was far too great to ignore. In 1995, there was a movie that came out that featured a creature that looked remarkably like Tolentino's description of El Chupacabras. So while interviewing her for his book, he asked her if she had ever seen the movie Species. Ah. She said that she had and even described the Chupacabras looking like the alien from Species with the spines on its back and everything like me. <laughs> Since Tolentino was the first person to claim to see El Chupacabras, and the first person to describe it, all other eyewitness accounts just took the initial report and exaggerated her description. Now, any weird-looking unknown animal is described as el chupacabras as it's made its way into the public consciousness. Right. How do you feel about Benjamin Radford's findings? I appreciate that he could call it out like, oh, wait, I think I know exactly what the hell she's describing. And originally, when you were talking about I think it was, maybe it was the vampiro one that you said it's like tall and feathered or whatever. I don't know which one it was, but you know what I was thinking? Also going back to a movie, these are the references that we get. So it makes sense. I was thinking Mothman prophecies. There you go. I was like, oh, that sounds like the Mothman. And of course, I think we see something and our mind wants to either make a pattern of it. And if we've seen it in a movie, boom, that's what it looks like. Yeah, and that's very true. I have heard that happening because as humans, we're kind of conditioned to look for patterns. We're conditioned to look for faces in places where faces don't exist. Yep. So it's very possible, you know, this was something in that person's mind and they saw something that resembled it and their brain unconsciously put those two things together. Linked it. Yeah, I would believe that for sure. Because I mean, my mind did it with when the beginning of the episode and you were talking about that guy, the feathered one. The vampiro de moca. The vampiro, yeah. Yeah, and when I was reading the description, the first thing that I thought was la lechuza, but I was still very lechuza brain since I just did a week of research <laughs> yes. on that topic. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I started working on this script before Hurricane Fiona hit Puerto Rico. Our thoughts go out to all the people that were affected by the hurricane. I'm going to leave an article from the cut in our show notes that lists all the places that you can donate to if you want to help the people of Puerto Rico directly. You can always donate to the Red Cross. They're always looking for donations. But if you want to help the people of Puerto Rico directly, the list of places you can donate to will be in that article. This list was provided by Becca from the Daily Zeitgeist on their podcast a few days ago. Or I guess by the time you guys listen to this, it'll be a few weeks ago. Yeah. And keep in mind, everybody, that Puerto Rico has not gone back to what it was prior to even Hurricane Maria. So I appreciate if anybody that can donate will. 
Yeah, and you're you're totally right. I know a lot of people are saying, "Oh, how can 100% of their island be without electricity?" And that's exactly what they were talking about in the Daily Zeitgeist. The reason is because they never fully recovered from the prior hurricane. So they were already hurting and this just made a bad situation worse. Yeah, you kick them when they're down already. It's so sad. Yeah, our thoughts are definitely with you, Puerto Rico. Definitely. Before we end the show, I wanted to read a message from Dakota from ContraZoomPod. He was kind enough to send us some stickers for his podcast, as well as the following very sweet note. Jose and Isela, I know we only met because of an ad swap, but I feel like we've become good friends since. I love TAC and think you have an incredible thing on your hands. And he mentioned how he's including stickers from, I guess, the original logo, as well as their current logo. And he says, thanks for all the shout outs you do for CZP. It means a lot, Dakota. And that means a lot to us. Thank you so much, Dakota. Yes. Thank you so much for the awesome message and for the stickers. We also consider you a good friend. Actually, we consider you our super friend of the week. That is so awesome. Dakota totally deserves it. Thank you so, so much. You totally made our week for sure. Indeed. On that high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yay, yay. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC, email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you're nasty and have a story to share with us. But not a nasty story. Or just want to say hello. (laughs) 